You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Oh, man, we're getting better at that. You guys know I like interrupt. How are we doing this morning? We're awake. I love that, man. So if this is uh, your first time here, we're super excited that you're here today at Redemption City Church. And if you've been coming the last four weeks, because that's how long we've been going, man, thank you for hanging in there. It can be really scary, right? A lot of us have been in church for a long time. It can be scary to be a part of something so new. Um, So often we grow up in the traditions of church and we are used to certain things and being a part of a church plant really takes a type of step out in faith. And so I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you're here Um, today. If you have your Bibles and I and I hope you do, I want you to we're going to be opening them to the book of Hebrews. Okay, and so we have kids in here and we're just getting started as a church. And so I just kind of want to share a couple things, kids. You have a responsibility today to be as focused as you can. The Word of God says that God has a message specifically for you. And so if you work hard and you lean in today, I believe God has a lesson for you as well. And so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be focusing on verses 19 through 25 in just in just a little bit. And so if this is your first time here, we are in a, it was a nine-week series, and now it's an eight-week series called the DNA series, okay? And essentially, this is about Redemption City Church establishing its values and its characteristics, right? And so we learned on our very first week that there's over 350,000 church expressions in America. That's crazy, right? But we also learned that so many of these churches over the last 10 years are closing their doors. And what the statistics are showing us is that they're moving away from where they started, which was having their values and their characteristics established in their church. And so this eight-week series is about us establishing that for our church and asking the Lord to bless our efforts. And so in our first week, as you see on the screen, we looked at what does it mean to be marked by the gospel. And essentially that is a story of us moving from death to life, from moving from our story into God's story. You see, what the Bible tells us is without, without Christ, we are, our story ends in death and isolation and tragedy, and that's not a good end, right? But with Christ, because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to step into redemption, hence our name. And so with Christ, the Bible teaches us that our story ends in community and fellowship and ultimately eternity with Christ. And so we learned about that. The next week, we looked at what does it mean to be marked by grace? And I loved being able to lean in and spend that time with you guys and see our kids, right? Um, That was so special to see some of our kids really interacting and growing and understanding what these big words are. We, some of us have been in church our whole lives and we hear about grace and mercy and salvation and justification and all these huge words, but what do they mean? And so we learned that grace is essentially God's love showing itself by providing things that we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's grace, but he provides things to us. And then we looked at what is mercy? Because we usually say those things like synonymously, right? Grace and mercy. But we learned that grace is also an expression of God's love from the opposite side. And it's him withholding things because of his love, like his judgment. So we learned about those things. And then the next week we looked at what does it mean to be marked 
by generosity. What does that mean to be marked by generosity? And essentially, when we truly interact with God's grace, all that he has done, right? We learned about that, all that he's provided and his mercy, all that he has withheld, even though we should just, we do deserve some things, but because of his love, he, he withholds that judgment. The collision of God's grace, the collision of God's mercy should do something in our hearts to produce generosity, not out of compulsion, but naturally because of what God has done for us. And so what does it mean for us as a church, but first you as an individual to be marked by generosity and so we looked at that and then last week as you as you know we were not able to be here today in the arbory Uh, we had some issues with the building and so we went at pastor jack's house for a special pancakes prayer and pathways and man that was an exciting time as we leaned together as a community and we asked that the lord might provide the provision that we needed so i have a really a special announcement that me and pastor jack are super excited so that was last sunday right so we're here to let you know that as of yesterday, we had an email from the Arbery's legal team letting us know that we will be able to continue in the Arbery um, for the foreseeable future. And so we were able to work everything out and that is just good news and we should clap it up for that. And so we're just so excited about that. And so we plan on the Arbery being our home for, the next, um, for this next season and we're super excited about that. And so this week we're gonna be looking at what does it mean to be marked by gathering, right? What does it mean for us as the people of God to come together in God's church, in his name? What do we do when we do that? And then next week, we'll look at what does it mean to be marked by going, right? We gather for a purpose and then God sends us out for a purpose. But how do we do that practically? Um, I don't know about you, but for me, I've I've been in church culture my whole life, but it wasn't until I really started to take my faith into my own hands and ask the Lord to to teach me these things that I was able to to take my faith and to make it practical. How do I practically go out into my community? How do I practically disciple my own children, right? And so after that, as you can see, we're gonna look at what does God have to say about the family unit? I'm super passionate about that. You have, God's, God's idea right here is look, you have man, the husband, you have you have woman as you have wife, you have children. How does this beautiful dance of relationship work according to the Bible? And how do we work together as ambassadors of Christ, sending out our little disciples to be lights in the community? But first, as leaders of our home, how do we do that? And then after that, we look at what does it mean essentially? What does God have to say about godly manhood and godly womanhood? What does he say about that? What's your part? What's my part? And how do we activate those things in our life? And then finally, on August 4th, we look at covenant family. And this is going to be your opportunity after going on this, on this journey of learning about what our values are and what our characteristics are for you to have an opportunity to be a covenant member of our church. And so if you've been leaning in with us since um, the beginning, what we ask of you is that you would just spend that time together and to wait and to see what the Lord might do as he stirs your affections as you're learning. And at the end of the eight weeks that you and your family would think, consider making Redemption City Church your own church. Amen. And so um, if, if you have your Bibles, I want to talk a little bit about why we're using the ESV standard version as our primary text. Again, we're a brand new church, and so um, be patient with us as we're doing a lot of, we're teaching, we're preaching, we're establishing culture. And so me and Pastor Jack, as elders and pastors of this church, we believe um, that the ESV is the, um, the best translation that provides two things, a literal word-for-word translation. Some Bibles don't do that, okay? So we want to stick as close as possible to the original text. 
And it also brings, it's the most readable that sticks to the word for word. And so we believe that we're setting you guys up and we're setting our families up to interact with the purity of what God has to say by using the ESV. Occasionally we'll use, of course, other versions, um, but this will be our main, our main text. Now, today's sermon is going to focus on three things, essentially. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because we can't talk about gathering if we don't understand what it means to be Christian, right? And then the second is, why do we as Christians gather on Sunday? Why do we do that? Let's not take for granted that we know why. Why do we gather on Sundays? And then finally, why, I mean, what do we do when we get here, right? What do we do when we get here um, as a church family um, on a Sunday? And so believe it or not, Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25 has a lot to say about that. And so um, we're going to look at that right now, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and I'm going to invite you guys to read with me, okay? So we want to be, listen, we don't want to be bystanders. Children, I don't want you to develop that culture of being a bystander. We serve a God who wants you to interact with the gospel, interact with the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to read this loud and loudly together, and then we're going to pray. Um, read with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Abba Father, you alone are worthy of our praise and our affections and our attentions this morning. It doesn't matter, Lord, how old we are or how young you are. We believe by faith that you have a message for everybody today. Lord, we're here this morning to make much of who you are by worshiping the fact that your incredible grace and your incredible mercy has been given upon our lives, God. We so earnestly desire to have a response from our hearts now, Lord, that is filled with generosity, with our time, with our abilities, with our families, Lord. We want to be your ambassadors in our communities. Lord, we want to know your will, and we believe by faith that when we open the Bible, which represents your thoughts, Lord, we get to know your heart. So as we engage in the word this morning and we hear your thoughts, we ask that you would plant them in our hearts, soften our hearts so that we might see the glorious truth that you have for us this morning. Lord, I believe that there are deep and wide things in this text in Hebrews that you have for us this morning. So help us to lean into the scripture and to have a response at the end that's filled with faith and obedience. It's because of your beautiful name, we pray. Amen. Now for me, you know, growing up, um, I grew up in church pretty much my whole life. As long as I can remember, I've been going to church, and that's because of my parents, and I'm thankful for that. But you know, I'm not sure if I ever really had a super clear understanding of why I went to church. Well, at least not outside of these four main assumptions, okay? And here's one of those assumptions. One was, I knew that I was going to church because it's the right Christian thing to do, right? I'm a Christian. Um, my parents said I'm a Christian. Eventually, I accepted that I was a Christian, and that's what Christians do. 
But why is it that Christians do that? Why is that true that Christians go to church? Another assumption that I had of why I was at church was because I love God, right? I mean, these are good assumptions. Because I love God, I'm going to go to church. But what does it actually mean to love God? What does it mean to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength? We've heard that before, right? These are things we hear all the time in church. What does that really mean? Another thing, my third assumption about why I went to church was to be in community with other Christians, right? I didn't have to have that taught to me. It was something that I saw in my culture around me. I saw that I came to church and I built community with other people. But I also noticed as I got older that it was also rooted in a lot of like bringing us together, like-minded people. It was like where we had a lot of social gatherings. And so as I'm growing, as young as some of these kids are here, eight, nine, and 10, I'm developing my biblical and my Christian worldview. So it was rooted on, I go to church because that's what Christians do. I go to church because I love God. I go to church because I, am, I think I'm supposed to be around other people who are Christians. And then finally, this is, seems pretty obvious, right? I go to church to learn about God. But what am I supposed to be learning about God in church? Is there something that God has prescribed in his scripture that's unique to church gathering that's different than learning about God in the confines of my home or with my parents? Is there a difference? And so I think for a lot of us, and tell me if this is true, that's the extent of our church experience. Maybe that was your, your, your assumptions for church, or maybe that remains to be why you go to church. Now, in Christianity News Today, I want to share with you some, um, some really, really um, credible statistics about why people right now in America, these are the top six reasons why people go to church. You ready? Okay, number one, for their kids to have a moral foundation, right? So one of the primary reasons that people go to church is they want their children to have good moral foundations, okay? Good moral foundations. Now, that's not a bad thing. I want my kids to have good morals, but is that the primary reason why we're here at church, for our kids to get moral foundations? We're going to learn about that. Another one in this, in, from Christianity News today um, of why we gather to church is for comfort in times of trouble and sorrow. So what is, kids, what that means is a lot of people go to church because they have problems in their lives or they're hurting and they're coming to church with their pain. Okay, and I believe that there is a, that we should come to church with our problems and we should come to church with our pain. But is that why God has prescribed for us to come together as a church? We're going to look at that. A third reason is this to be a better person. I'm going to church because I want to be a better person. I want to be better than what I am. I want to. And here, here's what it really means underneath it. I want to work on myself, self, self, self. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I want to work on myself. I want to be a better person. I, I want to do that. I want to be in charge of that. And so people come for that reason. And I think that there's something good that God has in store for people when we are obedient and we lay our lives down. But is that the main reason why we gather for church? Another reason that people meet for church is this to continue their family traditions of religion. In other words, my parents are Christians, so I'm going to be a Christian. My grandparents taught me the Bible. My parents taught me the Bible. Therefore, I should teach my children the Bible, and I have an unspoken expectation that they should teach their kids. This, this is called systematic religion. And I believe that God totally desires 
true believers in Christ to share their faith with their children, to disciple them. But is this the primary reason why we gather? Because of our family traditions? Here's another one, number five. Um, to meet new people and to have a safe community. Keyword, safe. To build a community and to have a safe place to have social gatherings. Well, first of all, the word safe shouldn't belong anywhere in the reason why we gather together as a community. In fact, it takes about five minutes of you spending intentional time in the Bible to realize that when you are following Christ, the opposite of what you're stepping into is safety and comfort. And then finally, and this one is a huge one, according to Christianity News Today, the sixth reason why people come to church as their main motivation, these were the six main motivations, was to please their family or their spouse. Incredible. They felt an internal pressure because everyone in their family was in the faith, or because maybe the wife is trying to lead her kids, but the husband's not on board, and he's there because his, because his wife wants, wants him to be there, or, or she's there because her husband wants her to be there. And so while there's truth in all of these reasons, they're not the main reasons why God has prescribed for us to be here. Now, now listen to me and track with me real quick. The gospel is super important, right? Without the gospel, we have no church. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have an opportunity to be in a right relationship with Jesus. So the gospel is foundational. Amen? Right? And so when you say amen back to me, it's like, man, I'm in agreement. You don't have to say it, but that's what it means. Amen means let that be so, right? Amen? Okay, and so grace and mercy is how we last. Without God's grace and mercy, we can't activate the gospel in our lives. It would just be a historical story that is not enough to keep us. It's the constant, constant living grace and mercy that God is providing in our lives that allows the gospel message to continue to circulate in our hearts so that we can last as Christians. Amen? And so here's the thing. Generosity, these are all things we're learning. I want you guys to learn well. Generosity provides evidence that that grace and the mercy is legitimate in you. When you you truly have interacted with God's grace and God's mercy in your life, you don't have to try to be generous with your life. It will come out of you. I I experienced that in my own life. After losing everything, after having $250,000 in medical bills, not being able to take care of myself, because of the grace and the mercy on my life, even when I was being pushed to the park in a chair, I want to give my life away to the community, to, to little kids, spend time because of what God's done for me. It's so organic. And I want to invite you into what God can do in your life. But here's the thing. If we lack a deep and robust understanding of why we gather as a church, the consequences are devastating. Absolutely devastating. So the first step I want to take today is to remove that assumption that we're all on the same page. Just because you've grown up in church your whole life doesn't mean that you may know what God has to say about gathering. So let's remove assumptions in an assumption-driven culture. Um, You don't have to turn here. It's just really quickly. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, um, this is what the word of the Lord says. Listen very carefully. The naive or experienced person is easily misled and believes every word he hears. But the prudent man is discreet and considers well where he is going. He considers where he's going. Let us not be a beginning church that just assumes 
that we know why we're here. Let us take the time before we go and have series on Ephesians and series on Corinthians and all these things we want to do. Let's slow down and let's not make assumptions because let's, let's face it, we are an assumption-driven culture and it's wrecking lives. Let me share with you one main way as a culture that we're wrecking lives and it's in our relationships. I want you to lean in with me for a second. Whether it's husband and spouse, boyfriend and girlfriend, parent to children, assumptions are toxic. So often, you know, I spend a lot of time doing some pastoral counseling and coaching for couples, married couples, different things, right? Let me tell you one of the main things that disrupts couples, especially newlywed couples that are getting married. And we have some people that are exploring that and taking steps. And so I have something that's super important to you to change everything for you. Listen, do not make the assumption that your spouse knows everything in your heart because they don't. I w- I, let me tell you, one of the main things that I do in my pastoral counseling is dealing with assumptions. If my husband truly loved me, he would do this, this, and this. If my wife only would just stop X, Y, and Z, I would feel this, this, this. But here's the problem. You've made an assumption that your husband knows how to love you well. You've made an assumption that your wife knows that that really is raking on your nerves and, and removes your affections, right? Here, 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 listen to me. Assumptions is selfish because it's completely and utterly rooted in only what you think and it's not considering the other. This is true also of our church. We don't want to be a people that assumes that we understand why we're here. We don't want to have that selfish posture. We want to take our time and we want to learn. So let's build a solid foundation. And we're going to start that solid foundation by understanding five characteristics of what makes a Christian. Because how can we talk about gathering as Christians if we don't understand some essentials about what it means to be Christian? So here are those five things. Are you ready? Okay. Now, kids, if you don't have a Redemption City roadmap, and this is the beauty of being a church plan, I, I'm, not so, I'm not worried about everything being perfect and stuff. We're here to have church and to worship Jesus. Parents, if your kid does not have a Redemption City roadmap, I would like them to have one. We have put intentionality for them to learn and interact with the sermon today. So we will make sure that um, some of our serve team will hand that to you, okay? Now, kids, inside of your Redemption City roadmap, you're going to see the colorful areas. And inside of those colorful areas, that's your work today in the sermon. So get ready to do that, okay? All right. Now, the first, here's here's one of the first things, and I want you to consider this for your own life. All right, here we go. Um, Five characteristics. The first one, Christians recognize that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Let me say that to you again. Christians recognize that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, look at the screen, kids. This is for you, okay? Now, this is me explaining it to you in kid version. Ready? If you're a Christian, this means this. I know that the perfect picture that God created me to be is damaged. And that really bothers God. That's the first step of recognizing. If you're a Christian, you recognize that this is true. You recognize that this is true. We learn in Genesis that because of sin... And because of what the, the cause of sin, that this perfect picture was damaged. Um, and the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for that is the imago Dei, the image of God. The image of God was damaged. 
And we were made in the image of God. And God said that it was very, very good. Now, here's an example that I think that will really help us understand this for kids and for adults alike. How many are familiar with the great and famous art artist, Picasso? Everybody remember Picasso? So kids, Picasso was a super, super, like one of the best artists ever. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine that Picasso was sitting here and he was spending his time and he was painting the perfect picture. You following me? You tracking with me? And when he finished making the perfect picture, he painted it. It was beautiful. Guess how much it was worth? Kids, it was worth like $18 million. Yeah. And this perfect picture that he created was sitting in the middle of the most beautiful, beautiful garden or museum. And he looked at it and he said, this picture is very good. And when I look at this picture, it's like that picture is me. And because of sin, imagine that someone took a big bowl of tar and after this $18 million picture, someone took this big old bundle of tar and, they, and threw it on that picture. Would that be good? How do, you think, how do you think Picasso would feel? He'd be angry. He'd be hurt, right? And so here's the thing. The first level of the damage of what sin did was it distorted and it damaged the image of God. But there's worse news that happened when sin. That was just the first level of damage. The second level of damage was what happened to that tar as it hardened around that picture. See, it wasn't just paint, it was tar. And that tar hardened around the picture and it became so hardened that we could no longer see the image of God in ourselves. Christians recognize that. Number two, Here's number two. Christians recognize that we have sinned against him, namely God. We've belittled his glory by treating things he made as more valuable than himself. Now, kids, this is what I mean, okay? This, so if, you, if you're a Christian, it means that I know that I have done a huge wrong against God because I have loved my favorite things more than I have loved God. Christians understand that. Hey, this is true of every single person in this room. Nobody's exempt. If you are a true Bible-believing Christian, you know that you have chosen the created things over the Creator. Now, kids, example for you. I want you to think right now with your eyes closed about your very, very favorite, favorite thing in your room. Maybe it's a PlayStation, it's a toy, it's a, or maybe it's an outside toy. Imagine your favorite toy. You got it in your mind? Okay, so your favorite toy. Now, would you trade your favorite toy if that meant you would no longer have your mommy and daddy? No one would do that, right? But what the Bible tells us is that we choose that every single day, that we chose the things that God gave us over our Father in heaven. And this is a huge offense to God. Christians recognize that. Number three. Christians recognize that we deserve to be punished for this. This is where people don't like church anymore. I'm a good person. Christians recognize that we deserve to be punished for this. We see it as a serious offense to God or against the creator of the universe. Kids, here's what that means for you. I know that I deserve to get in trouble for the things we just talked about. The fact that I love my stuff 
and my life more than God, I deserve to be in trouble with God because God should be more important than anything, including my favorite things. Hey, that's what it means to be Christian. It means that you accept that that's true and you recognize that. Amen? Here's the fourth one. Christians recognize that God is both just, meaning he's right, in his judgments, and he's patient and loving. Wow. He's able to always be right, yet not be so right, not to be only right and then condemning and, and like just totally overbearing or whatever. He's right. He's perfect in his judgment, but he's incredibly patient. He's incredibly loving. Kids, this is what I mean. It means that you know, say, I know that God is correct. You have to believe that God is correct. He's more correct than what you feel. He's more, he's more correct than even your parents. Imagine that. God is always correct when he is punishing me and he's teaching me things. But guess what? It means that I believe he loves me anyway. How many times has your mom and dad set you down and said you weren't doing the right thing and you lost some privileges and it didn't feel good? But deep in your heart, you knew it was still good for you. That's what it means to be Christian, that sometimes God punishes us, but it doesn't mean it's not good for us. And then finally, here's what it means to be Christian. Christians recognize that God sent a rescuer, his son Jesus, into the world to bear our punishment. And if we confess with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is the gospel message. That is the gospel message. And it's the best message ever on this planet. Kids, this is what it means. Because I'm telling you, this Bible is for you. Never let anyone... Um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Do not let anyone despise you for your youth. And I'm here to tell you that you can read your Bible... Kids, I want you to say, repeat after me, I, oh, you can do better than that, say, I can read my Bible, I can understand my Bible, yes, you can, so listen, this is what it means, I know that he loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to wash away everything that I've done wrong in the past and in the future, before I even do it, he's working it out. Now I have to believe that in my heart, and then I tell people without being afraid with my mouth. You've got to tell people what you believe. And so these are the five characteristics that we want to have as a, as a foundation of clarity for what it even means to be Christian, so that we can now take a, now we can move to what does it mean to be marked by gathering? Are, we following, are you tracking with me? So let's, let's think about what it means. And, and through three, here's the three reasons why we gather on Sundays as Christians right? Here's the three reasons. Number one, we, we come together. I know we have a lot of writing. Think about, we're in school for the next eight weeks, okay? We're in school. All right. Number one, to be reminded of all that the Lord has and will do for us, and then to worship Him. Now, I want you to, I want you to listen to me for a second. The number one reason why we gather as a church is not for social gatherings. We're not coming together for our children's ministries, for our clubs, for it's to be reminded of all that the Lord has done, to be reminded of his grace, to be reminded of his mercy. And that reminder should lead us so that we lift our voices in praise, where the gratitude in our hearts comes out of our mouth and we praise his name, we worship him, and, and, and the worship comes out of us. 
and it spurs us forward and it encourages us when we leave church to continue to do the things that God's called us to do. Amen? I need us to wrap our minds and our hearts around that. We have to take steps away from cultural Christianity. We are here for Jesus, not for ourselves. Not primarily. Number two, we're here and we're gathered today. We're going to see this in Hebrews. To experience community where we encourage and challenge and support one another. Parents, here's the thing. Your kids are probably writing as fast as they can. You have a responsibility given to you before God, not just to bring your children to church. You need to know that. You have a responsibility before God at home to follow up after our Sunday mornings and to break down what they learned today. You are the primary teacher of the Word of God to your children. We are here to experience community, to encourage and challenge one another. But listen, I'm not talking about encouraging like going to each other's small groups and just you know, saying like, oh, you're, it's going to be okay. The primary thing that the word, we're going to see in the moment that we're to encourage and to challenge each other in is these things. And, and this is not, it's not comfortable, but it's truth and it's the word of God. We're to be challenging and encouraging to each other to repent. Everybody say, I should be encouraging people. To repent. Listen to me. We are here to be reminded to encourage one another into repentance. I am not right with God without Christ. I fall short every day. I sin on my worst day and I need to be encouraged into repentance. I need you as my brothers and sisters to remind me to repent. I want to love you enough to encourage you to repent. Amen. Another thing that we want to encourage each other towards is to believe. Life is hard. And it's in times our faith, our, our faith is low. And we encourage each other to believe. And finally, here we go. We encourage each other to die. Wow. We encourage each other to die daily to, our, to ourselves. The gospel message says this. That we are to pick up our cross. We are to join in the sufferings of Christ. And we're, and we're to follow him to the cross. This is not the popular gospel message. This is not what you're going to hear on a typical Sunday from a seeker-sensitive church that is primarily being rooted in building their church. But I'm here to tell you that the gospel message is about you dying to yourself and being raised to a new life in Christ where your life is no longer your own and it belongs to the God of the universe. It's why you read in the beginning of almost every epistle, it says, I, Paul, I, Peter, a slave to Christ. It means something. It's an obedience posture. It's an obedience posture. So what do you notice about these three reasons of why we're... Um, oh, I'm sorry. The final one is to receive exhortations to go and to reach unbelievers. We come together as a church to be exhorted, to be reminded, to be commissioned out there. Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. So often we get it backwards. We think that the church is about where we, we're like, hey, bring all your friends to church. Bring your unbelieving friends to church. If they don't know Jesus, bring them to our church so we can tell them about Jesus. That sounds really good, but unfortunately it's not biblical. The church is not primarily for the unbeliever. The church is primarily for the believer. 
It's for the believing Christian to do these three things, to be reminded of all the Lord has done, to experience community, and to receive an encouragement to go make disciples. But so often in church, we think church is about where we bring our unbelievers so that the pastor can do all the work to save them. This is the time where I get to exhort you and encourage you and to remind you. Guess where the primary work of the unbeliever is done? Outside of church. Opening your homes. Those small groups and those city groups that you've been a part of for so long, what, who is being invited to your city groups and small groups? Are you inviting only people that look like you, that talk like you, that believe like you? I want you to know that the, that the biblical message says that you're not, that is not the purpose of bringing, you are to be bringing unbelievers into your home. You, the destitute, the widows, the prostitutes, the unbelievers, the dirty people. I have a question for you, those who have been walking with Jesus. Is your home available for the people who are not like you? I want you to answer that to yourself. Are you comfortable bringing in the unbeliever, the person who doesn't fit your mold, the person who's not walking in the faith, the person who, honestly, you don't trust around your children by yourself? Would you bring in that person? Because Jesus did it all the time, and it was offensive. It was an offensive. That's everywhere he went, he offended people with his love and generosity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were like, what are you doing interacting with the scum of the earth? And Jesus said, behold, I have come not for you, but for the people that you proclaim are the scum of the earth. Church on Sunday mornings is for the believers of Christ to be encouraged. When you leave this building, it's your job to be ambassadors of Christ. Amen? And so what do you notice about these three things? Number one, I want to tell you something. I know this is a lot for some of us who have been in church our whole lives and we've never heard this message. And I, and I'm here, I, and I, and I, don't, I can't apologize, but, but, I, but, I, but I am sorry if this is the first time you're hearing this message. But this message can change your life. And I want you to know something if you're not noticing. Are you ready? Lean in with me. The Bible, the gospel, the story, it's not about you. Listen to me. This is God's story, not yours. And this is an invitation to become a Bible-believing Christian and to put your story to the side and to join into God's story. Something else you may be noticing about what I'm sharing with you is that the Bible is basically teaching this. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Now, that's not a popular message, and if I was primarily worrying about our church plant growing as fast as possible, we would have a different sermon on prosperity. <laughs> but I want you to know something. The Bible is teaching you to get over yourself. Now, right now, that might not seem like a big source of comfort, but let me promise you, as someone who's been walking with Jesus a long time, and I've walked through some serious tragedies, one day, if you keep following the God of the universe, this very message that this story is not all about you will be the like, sweet honeycomb to your ears. One day when you realize that, that the Bible is teaching you to get over yourself and that, this, that you don't have all this pressure on yourself to be perfect, this is going to be good news. So if it's not good news today and, I, and this is offensive, hang in here for a while. I don't think it'll stay that way. And so it's so important that we categorize what we come to church for and what we do as believers and know the difference. We come to church, we gather together to be reminded of the Lord to encourage each other to repent and to die and to go out and to be with the unbelievers. 
And so we're going to look at the book of Hebrews now, and we're going to look at what Paul, I believe Paul, has to say about this. Now, theologians and scholars, there's a little bit of discrepancy of who's the author of um, Paul. Some people attribute it to um, um, uh, Silas and even, uh, even Aquila and Priscilla, but I believe by faith that Paul is the author of, of this book. Um, and don't let that be a stumbling block. Let's focus on the truth of the message, okay? And so let's, let's look really briefly. Um, lean in with me. Kids, you're doing a great job. I know that we're, we're working towards our kids club, but you can focus today. You can learn something. Now, here's what's going on in the book of Hebrews so that we have context, lest we just read a verse out of nowhere and we just pull it out of context and do the wrong thing. In the book of Hebrews, it's such a relevant book for us right now. Here's what's happened. Um, in the book of Acts, what you'll notice is that this is kind of, I, I want to bring you into the timeline of things. So Jesus has already died, okay? He was crucified on the cross. He died. He rose again. He stayed around for about 40 days, and he was preaching a message. Now Jesus has left. He's been gone. The disciples were afraid. They walked away from their faith. This is the quickest. We're going on a quick journey. They, they, were, they were kind of walking away from the faith. They were discouraged. And then the Holy Spirit came down via the Pentecost. And all of a sudden, about 3,000 people were speaking in different languages and tongues. They were saved. It was incredible. This was a good thing, right? Wow. Christ rose from the dead, people are believing, Christianity is spreading, 3,000 people are being radical, and then chapter 2 started. Persecution started happening. The Roman government was like, uh-uh, we are not having it. We are not having it. So they were being persecuted and murdered. Imagine that. Imagine husbands being ripped from their homes and losing their wives and children being ripped out of your homes. Hey, Listen, when I was a youth pastor, I, I said to you guys a couple weeks ago, the, the number one thing that I would always be told by the youth ministry is, man, pastor, you seem so passionate about the word of God. When, and, and I feel passionate when I'm learning it from you. But when I go home, it's boring. It doesn't even make any sense. And I'm like, if the Bible is boring to you, it's because you haven't learned the art of making it come to life and joining into the biblical narrative. I want to help you this morning. Imagine you are a Christian, and maybe it shouldn't that be that much imagination if you are one. And imagine because of your faith right now, your son is ripped out of your home. I need you to go there with me right now, or we're just going to just do, we're just here for another Sunday. We're just having church to honor an invitation, and we learn nothing. I need you to go there with me emotionally. Your son, your daughter is ripped out of your home because of their faith. Your mom and your daddy, you never get to see them again. They, they are killed because they love Jesus. Because so often we look to these biblical stories and we're kind of like, gosh, why couldn't they just believe? They walked with Jesus. Gosh, if I, if I could have met Jesus, if you would have met Jesus, you would have done the same thing they did. This is incredible persecution, okay? Because of this persecution, the people of God, lean in with me for a second, the people of God were experiencing great doubt and great disbelief. And they started walking away from their faith. In this book of Hebrews, it says that their, their hearing became dull because they were just like, man, I can't do this. It's too hard. So let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. About this, we have much to say. Now, what Paul's referring to, he's saying, now, everything that's been said before this is that be reminded of what Christ has done for you. So the whole book of Hebrews is contrasting the Old Testament and the way that we used to have to buy the blood of shedding and killing animals. And Paul's saying, hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Christ paid the penalty once and for all. In Christ, be encouraged, be bold, walk your faith, don't fall away. About this, we have much to say about all that Jesus has done. But listen to this, listen to this. But it's hard to explain 
since you have become dull of hearing. They were becoming dull of hearing because life was difficult. So often we become dull of hearing when we come to church on Sundays because life out there is difficult. And we bring life out there in here and we're not able to focus on what God has for us because we're so caught up in what's going on in our lives. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Some of us have been walking with Jesus for over 10 and 15 years. But our maturity in Christ is not representing how long we've been with Christ. Listen to me. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to come to church to be tough. You come to church and be humble about where you're at because God wants to meet you where you're at. Listen, some of us have been walking with Christ for over a decade and you're still struggling with the same exact thing you were 10 years ago. And God wants to heal you. And he wants you to humble yourself and repent and to grow. Not because you're going to become perfect, but the point of sanctification is to continue to mature to become more like Jesus. Some of us are stagnant and we're stuck in our sin because we become dull of hearing. And we should be mature by now. We should be, listen, another statistic for you in Christianity News today. Do you know that only two out of every 10 believers actually have witnessed the gospel to someone. Let me say it to you again. This is devastating. Two out of every 10 Christians actually share their faith with unbelievers. I'm not talking about getting together with your friends and having a cocktail or, or a party with everybody who's like you. Two out, of every t- two out of every 10 Christians actually spend their life with people who are, who are a little messed up. Some of us should be teachers and leaders in our communities. But this is what Paul was saying. You need someone. I mean, but you need milk. How many know that babies don't eat solid food because they choke? And what Paul is saying, hey, you've been walking with Christ for a long time. I can't even introduce to you the higher things of Christ because you still need milk. You're not even ready for solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is what? unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. I want to encourage you today, if you've been walking with Jesus, to examine, are you still a child in the faith or are you walking into maturity? Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Discernment comes with maturity and maturity comes with obedience. As you trust the word of God and you are obedient to what it says, you grow wiser in your mind, your heart transforms, and you can distinguish right from wrong. But when you're ignorant and you're selfish and you're prideful and you think you know everything in and of yourself, you rob yourself of interacting with right and wrong. Amen? And so now we're on a bridge and we're going to our main text. And we're not going to spend too much time here, but I just want to look at this for what it is. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, we're almost there. Hang in there with me. 
verse 19, and this is what the Lord says, therefore, therefore, because everything we've just said is true, therefore, because of what Christ has done, therefore, because he died on the cross and he rose again for you, therefore, because he left with me, he left you and me with the Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't have to do this alone, therefore, because all these things are true, therefore, because I know that life is difficult and that you experience trials and tragedies and suffering out there, therefore, brothers, therefore, family, since we have confidence I love that. Notice, since we have confidence, it's not something that you work towards. Paul's saying, a true believer has it. I want you to slow down and focus right now on the text so that you can learn how to, how to read the Bible for yourself. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have. The mark of a Christian is not someone who's trying to have confidence. When Christ is in you, you do have confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the priests were trembling when they came before the Lord. Because guess what? If they did one wrong thing, they could lose their life. We don't have to worry about that. Listen, lean in with me. Me and you get to come to church because of the blood of Jesus, and we come with confidence. We come with confidence. Some of us, we have a hard time coming to church because of our sin. There's some people in here, we have a story. And we've done some things in our past, and we don't feel worthy of church. We have shame. We just got done with a, the most huge argument with our wives and our, or our husband. And the last place we want to go is a place that makes us feel guilty. Some of us have some serious fam familiar problems going on. But because of the blood of Jesus, we enter into this holy place with confidence as Bible-believing Christians, not because you're doing everything right in your life, but because of what Christ has done in you. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That curtain was what separated us from God. We didn't have access to our Heavenly Father, but because of Jesus, the curtain or the veil in the King James Version was ripped away, and we have access to our Abba Father. We don't have to go through any priest. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near. Listen, listen, listen to me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near to the Lord and have confidence in full faith. With our hearts sprinkled, with clean, uh, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Christianity and the gospel message is not about you fixing yourself. You don't need to clean yourself up. Right on the front page of our website, it says, it's okay to not be okay. God wants to meet you where you're at. And that's what we want to do as your family here at New City Church. Listen, verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. At some point, we as Christians have to stop wavering in our faith. We have to make a choice. Do we believe in Christ and what Christ has to say, or do we not? I want to invite you to think about this. If you are a believer in Christ and your life has been saved because of Him, if you have interacted with the grace and the mercy of Christ, I want you to ask yourself, have you submitted every area of your life to Him? Your children... It's important, men, that are leading our homes to have a vision for your children. As long as you submit your children and that vision to God, 
the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be his name. The Lord gives what he wants. The Lord takes what he wants. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And finally, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more, I mean, yeah, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Love requires two things, people and practice. Whoever told you like, oh, if you loved me, they lied. Love requires people and practice. Newlyweds on the way to being married, please measure your expectations. Your husband is not going to love you perfectly. Your wife is not going to love you perfectly. It takes practice. It takes practice to learn how to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. So let's encourage each other to do that one day at a time. And so let's look one more time, at, and we're going to cut it into four pieces of a pie of why we gather. Number one, we're going to end with this. We gather to receive from God. We come to church to receive from God, to receive truth, to receive the story of God, to receive instructions from God that we're, that we're supposed to take out of here and we're supposed to do something with it. We have to stop leaving church, listening to the gospel message and doing nothing. That's what Paul's saying. You're still on milk. You're not growing. You're not maturing. Next week, we're going to learn about what it means to be marked by going. And I'm letting you know right now, it's going to be super uncomfortable because some of us have never even opened our home to the, to the person that, honestly, we don't want in our home. And that's a problem. Number two, we gather to give to God. We don't come to church primarily to get. I'm, fix my problems, fix my problems, give me this, give me that. We're not at church to consume. We're at church to give. To give our time and our talents and our resources and our affections. Number three, we gather to encourage and challenge each other. We gather to encourage and challenge each other. We, we, to, I want to have brothers and sisters. Look, I don't want to go to church. I don't care about, if, man, it, you can have the best children's, children's program. You can have the best barbecues. You can have the best summer camps. If I don't have brothers in my life that know me well enough and I don't open my life and be humble where I can't say, hey, hey, brother, I, hey, I see this part in your life and I'm challenging you in love. Hey, when you do that, that doesn't, that doesn't honor God. When you do that, hey, hey, the way you were treating your wife right here, I, I think you could do a better job. I want, some, I want a brother in my life who could do the same for me, right? I want a brother that can look at me and say, hey, man, hey, hey, you could have done a better job of being an example and letting your light shine in that moment. So often we have so high expectations for our kids, but you know what happens as adults? No one speaks into us anymore because I make six figures. And I do this, and I'm that, and I'm an executive, and, so, and, and it's the worst thing ever. We stop having people who can just speak into our lives and to call us out. And that's a dangerous place to be when you have no deep relationships with people that know you deeply. Not all this superficial Christianity. People who know you deeply and can say, I'm calling you out in love so you can continue to grow to be more like Jesus. 
Do not live your life in cultural Christianity, surface level relationships where no one knows you enough and is comfortable enough to say, hey, come on, come on. And finally, we gather to receive exhortations to go. My primary job as the pastor of preaching and vision is to teach you how to handle the Bible. Let me tell you something. I want to set you up for success. If you're coming to church for a culture of church that has 25-minute sermons, this is not going to be the church for you. We are going to spend, on average, between 40 to 50 minutes in the Word of God every Sunday. We spend a lot of time the whole week doing everything else. If we can't spend 40 to 50 minutes of undivided attention in the Word of God, that has a lot to say about where we're at with Jesus. Oh, by the way, back in the biblical times of synagogue, they would be there for three or four or five hours. We, we, have, we have so much to grow in. Forty minutes to focus on God. We can do that. Now, children, this is difficult for you. And in two weeks, we're launching our kids club so that we can do this in a, in, a, in, a, in a way for you to be able to grow more effectively. But for parents, we have no excuse. We can do this. We can do this. I want to end with saying this to you before we pray. Listen to me right now. Next week, we're going to be looking at what it means to be marked as a church by going. And I want to invite you to come and spend some time with us next week so we can learn what it means to activate our faith in our communities. One of the most discouraging yet encouraging things for me is when I spend time with different couples and they say, and I see there's so much purity. We love God. We want to share our faith, but we're just timid and we're afraid. We don't know how to do it. I'm not talking about the unbeliever or the new Christian. I'm saying there are people who have been walking with Jesus for over a decade and we're, we're literally not equipped. We don't know. How do we start that conversation? Do I just walk up to somebody? Hey, hey, my name's Brendan. And I want to introduce you. Like, how do we do that in a not awkward way? Like where they're not like, you're a complete weirdo. Don't ever talk to me again. There is a way to build a relationship that builds equity, that opens the door. And I want to invite you guys next week to learn about that. Um, let's bow our heads and let's ask the Lord to continue to establish our culture of why we gather. Hmm. Abba Father, if we're being honest <laughs> and if we're being attentive and most importantly, if we're being humble today, each of us are in desperate need of some level of reforming and reshaping of our lives. Lord, because of your love and in your love, I ask that you might consider starting that reshaping process within our hearts about why we even gather as a church of Christians. Forgive us, Lord, for not keeping the main thing the main thing, which is to worship your son. That is why we come to church. Everything else is secondary. We're here for you, Jesus, and you alone. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for loving the things that you give us and the things that you provide for us more than we love you. We don't want to continue in that posture. Holy Spirit, help us to have a faith-filled worship of Jesus despite our circumstances and trials. I pray that you would lift up just how important you have prescribed gathering is. Lord, for the weakened warrior, for the person that's too busy, Help us, Lord, to circulate our schedules and our times so that we don't just say with our mouths, but we say with our lives that Sunday is important. Lord, 90% of what we teach doesn't come from our words. It comes from our actions. Help us as adults 
as disciple makers in our homes to show our children that God is so important. When they see us faithfully coming to church every Sunday, it sends a strong message to our families and our communities that this is important to you. Lord, I ask for provision for us in our spiritual lives. Give us the equipment we need to grow off of milk into solid food and break the bond, Lord. Break that bond in our culture, Lord, that has a hard time giving you uninterrupted time for 40 or 50 minutes. Help us, Lord, to relish this time. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.